women, we learn from each other. We learn from each other's stories. And so we need to start having these conversations about money. One of my dearest friends from, the, you know, we've been friends since high school. When we catch up, I'm like, how's your net worth? And she's like, oh my God, let me tell you. And we talk about like the latest investments that we're looking at and those kinds of things. And it's really fun. Hi guys, and welcome back to the Rach Active Podcast. We're bringing you insightful conversations to help you live an active and inspired life. So make sure you hit subscribe so that you get the latest episodes as soon as they are released. I'm your host, Rachel J, and I'm so excited to welcome my guest to the show today. She is an international best-selling author, CEO, and award-winning entrepreneur. She's a self-made multimillionaire and online business mentor. Welcome to the show, Leonie Dawson. Oh. Thanks, Rach. It's such a joy to be here. I'm so excited for this chat. And I know this is a ritual that you actually like to do with all your work. So I'm going to do this before we begin today's conversation and episode by acknowledging the traditional custodians of the land from where you and I are meeting here today and also everyone listening and pay my respects to the elders past and present from the land, seas and communities from where we are all gathering to chat and listen to this podcast today. So I know that's something that you like to do. So I thought that would be nice to start Thank you, my love. I so appreciate it. And if anyone doesn't know the uh, traditional and ongoing custodians of the lands and see where you are, if you go to native-lands.ca, uh, land.ca, sorry, not lands, um, and it's just got this beautiful world map and it's still being populated of who the Indigenous territories are and, yeah, it's so, so phenomenal and useful. It's amazing. I think we all need to become a little bit more educated about all of that stuff. So um, now this is such a treat and I'm so excited for this chat because you are quite the role model, I feel like for so many people around the world. And I'm so excited to delve into more of your journey with you. And one of the things that I really love about how you approach your work is that you are so authentically you in the way that you show up with what you do. And I've been following your work for quite a while and I remember it could have been a blog post or something like that where you had just used like random words like knob jockey. I was like, I haven't heard that for a while. (laughs) Douche canoe is also a family favourite. I I don't think I've used this one for a while, but I also really enjoy it. Fanny wobble. Fanny wobble. I've not Mm. heard that before at all. Mm. You can just kind of just, I don't know, like for me, it's such a visual thing. You just sort of see this kind of pulsating labia. (laughs) I don't know. So fun. I think these, and that's one of the cool things about what you do is that you really bring yourself to your work. And um, now what what is very cool as well is that you've created this lifestyle Mm. um, and success that is probably not what generally we are used to seeing in mainstream media or messaging. So I am interested to know if you can take me back to when you first created this vision of success for yourself. Sure. Um, You know, I had always wanted to have some kind of creative career and um, didn't, well, I was just told by my parents that I couldn't have a creative career that, you know, that was meant that you would starve and, you know, be a starving artist and um, that I also shouldn't have a business because all businesses fail in the first five years and that I shouldn't earn in the highest tax bracket either because then I would earn, like, pay too much tax and so it was useless. Mm. Um, So that was like the three big money lessons from my parents and I thought, well, if I can't be a creative, 
I should do like the second best option and that is to become Prime Minister of Australia. Um, so I love that that's where my left to. I was like, well, if I, love can't it. Have, yeah, if I can't have what I really want, second best will be uh, Prime Minister. <laughs> so I went and worked for the Australian government um, in Canberra. I got to work in Parliament House. I got to meet, um, you know, the, the Assistant Prime Minister at the time, the Deputy, and um, work in Minister's offices and really quickly realised like, oh, like, this is not something that is for me. It's not for the rest of my life and it's not a place where I can be truly myself. Um, and even from a sensory perspective as well, I'm not actually able to do the hours because as much as politicians, um, you know, often make decisions that I don't agree with, um, they work incredibly hard and very, very long hours and spend a lot of time peopling and I don't have that capacity. Mm. So I think I was about 22 when I was like, mm, nah, I, I, I can't do this. Like I just, I, you know, I, I traveled through life at a very quick pace. I did all this stuff and I was like, I have learned the lesson. This is not for me. So I started building up my creative business on the side while I worked for the Australian government. And um, at that point, I didn't even know if a career was possible in it, but I just wanted it so much. And I realized I needed to create a, a business. And, um, and then I realized as well, I didn't have the business and marketing know-how in order to be able to earn money from my creativity. Um, and I knew that down the track, I wanted to have babies and that I didn't want to spend all my time away from them. I wanted to spend as much time with them as possible. And so from the get-go, at a very young age, I was like, right, I want to build a creative business and um, it, I can't take up all of my time. And uh, so I started generating it from there. And so I love that I've gone on to like completely disobey my parents, uh, have a creative career, have a business and I totally earn in the highest tax bracket now and it's amazing. I, I know. Love it. It's so amazing. And you are, you know, one of the cool things about what you do is that you are very open and transparent about revenue and all of that kind of stuff. We can talk about that a little bit more. But, I mean, I think it's so cool that you've been able to create this amazing career and so many of us, you know, want to be using our creative talents and abilities and generating money from it. Did you ever see this in another role model? Had you ever seen it? role modeled for you? No, not in, not in real life. Not in real, um, life. <laughs> not in real life. Like I come from a small farming town in um, like Northern Queensland, a little town called Proserpine, about 4,000 people. And most of them are related to me because I'm like six generations. <laughs> so it's very hard not to date your cousin there. Very, very difficult. Um, and I remember like I went I decided like I had to come out to my parents that I was going to be an artist and I remember flying home to see my dad and I was like, dad, I need to tell you something. And he's like, what? And we were at the airport. Like I couldn't even stop myself. I was just like, I need to tell you something. And he's like, what? Because he just grunted at that point. He's just this big, like bushy bushman with a massive like black beard. Um, and I said, dad, I've, I've decided I'm actually going to be an artist. And he said, well, you're not going to earn much money from that. And I said, well, you're a farmer, your father was a farmer, your grandfather was a farmer, and there's no money in that either. So I guess I just come from a long line of dreamers. 
And he was like, you think you're funny, don't you? And I was like, yes, I do. Yes, I do. This is the greatest. Long line of dreamers. Um, so I didn't have any role models, basically. I come from like farming folk. Um, I think the first role model I really had was um, the artist Sark who writes Succulent Wild Woman and lots and lots of other books. And when I found her books, I was like, oh, this is someone who is like me, who was using art and words and stories about her own life um, in order to help bring transformation for other people. So I'm always so grateful to Sark for being like this little lighthouse going, there's another way, Leonie. Yeah, it's so good when you find people like that. And even if it's not exactly what you want to do, it just shows you that it's possible, which is really cool. Mm-hmm. Um, now, one of the things that I also think that doesn't happen a lot is that there's, there's a conversation around money that I feel like doesn't really happen that openly, especially with women. And, mm-hmm. you know, like I said before, you're very transparent with your revenue, investments, your income streams. What have you found from working with so many people over the years has been the biggest thing or most important thing that we should know about money and managing our money? The first thing is ignoring it or hiding away from it does nothing. It just intensifies the issue. Mm. Whereas the more attention you pay to it, the more it will prosper and the more it will thrive, the more you'll feel confident with it, the more you'll learn things and um, the more you actively will take control of your financial destiny. And it's an amazing thing. And I, I remember so well when I was like head stuck in the sand about money and I bought Barefoot Investor the first time around. This is like 15 years ago, you know, like he's had a huge renaissance like in the last five years or so. But I remember when it was a brand new book and he was still super young. Um, and my husband and I went through it faithfully and it was so scary to us because we'd never talked about money. And for us, money felt very superficial and like we weren't spiritual if we didn't, if we like were concerned about money at all. But doing that and just beginning to pay attention to our money just made such a massive difference. And we'd been able to do so much good because of that decision. Because mm, you like to invest in ethical funds and things like that and more more along those lines, don't you? Yeah, yeah. So now we, um, you know, my superannuation is only in ethical funds mm. um, and we have shares in, in, in ethical managed funds and um, we also are able to kind of donate our excess. So we've done a huge amount of philanthropy work. So, uh, for example, like last year we donated $25,000 to climate crisis charities and, um, And we've helped like Australian Wildlife Conservancy with purchasing land for wildlife. You know, we've done, we've built libraries and schools in developing countries. We've done so much stuff with, you know, kind of our spare money. It's so much fun what you can do when you've got spare money. It's so amazing. Honestly, it's so incredible what you have done. And I mean, I think a lot of people listening might be thinking, yes, I understand that whole concept of, yeah, maybe thinking that money might be superficial or wanting to be rich or wanting to be wealthy, especially if you do have that inclination to be a little bit more spiritual. They're kind of, it almost is seen as this kind of conflict, two conflicting ideas when it doesn't have to be. But what are the most common money beliefs you've noticed that people have aside from the spirituality and money is superficial? Usually that it's not for them. Like, you know, there's either rich people and there's everybody else. Um, And that if you're not born into it, 
it's, you know, you're never going to attain it. Another really insidious one is like when I win the lottery and I'm like, no, don't bet on the lottery, bet on yourself. Mm. Like invest that money that you're paying for lottery tickets and read a fucking book or take a fucking course, do something a bit differently because you are the gold. Don't wait for um, the lottery in order to be able to achieve your dreams. Like you actually are in command of that. Mm. Um, Yeah, and just people, like especially women, they're like, well, I guess I'll just marry rich or whatever. Like they say it as a joke. Like even feminists, they say it as a joke. I'm like, no, you're like you be the rich man. Like Mm. you be the one that makes the cash because you can do this. It's all completely learnable. It's completely doable and it's not beyond your reach. Um, It's just this mindset. And also to realise like the patriarchy has done this to us. Like the patriarchy doesn't want us to talk about money because it knows when you start talking about money, you earn more, you know, and you become that much more financially educated. Women, we learn from each other. We learn from each other's stories. And so we need to start having these conversations about money. One of my dearest friends from, you know, we've been friends since high school. When we catch up, I'm like, how's your net worth? And she's like, oh my God, (laughs) let me tell you. And we talk about like the latest investments that we're looking at and those kinds of things. And it's really fun. And I learned so much from those chats. Yeah, I think that's so cool. And that's, I think, one of the, the greatest things about your work because you, you are so open with all of that that it almost gives people permission to then be okay themselves talking about their money mm-hmm. situation and really inquiring about the things that they don't know and need to learn about mm. how to manage their money, how to generate more income, generate more revenue, all of that kind of thing. Yeah. Um, so people always say, like, don't talk about money, sex, religion or death. And I'm like... Um, we need to talk, talk about, about all of them. Of them. <laughs> yeah. Like, why would we not talk about them? They're very important topics. They're not taboo. Mm. They're important topics and we need to discuss them. Yeah. And it's kind of, I think it's just the way that our culture and society are set up in terms of mainstream culture and society. Mm. That's just the way that's set up. So it's so good that we're, you know, having these kinds of conversations more often, which is really cool. Yeah. Now, how can we overcome these barriers and beliefs that stop us from achieving the wealth and success that we really desire for our lives? Because I think there's this element of, yeah, okay, I can be wealthy and all right, I'm going to be, I'm spiritual as well. And I want to generate this income and, and use my creative talents and abilities to do that. But there sometimes is this idea that we can't do it and, or or several beliefs that stop us, like we're just talking about, but how do we actually get through those beliefs? Because sometimes it's unconscious and we, we don't even know in terms of practicality, how do we actually action that? Mm. You know, it's, it's the, the toolkit is different for everybody. For me, I like using intuitive healers or kinesiologists like um, Kerry Rowett from Awaken Kinesiology because that to me is like outsourcing that shit and just be like, right, let's clear some blocks. Let's go, let's go. I don't want to spend much time thinking about this. For other people, it's um, using things like Denise Duffield Thomas's work and or Amanda Francis's work. Um and really, like, I love to kind of submerge myself in abundance mindset. I love to read money books and money mindset books and audio books. I'm listening to We Should All Be Millionaires by Rachel Rogers at the moment. Just continuing to infuse my brain with all the possibilities um, mm. to think differently because I I don't need to live the like the money life of my ancestors or 
any part of their lives, really. You know, their their big dream isn't for their, you know, their descendants to continue to suffer. They want to see them like lift up and rise up and heal and move into another level. So it's my job just to keep on going, yeah, okay, what's what's happening here and how can I shift it? Mm, yeah, I really like that. I, I think it's important, like you said, to just continually fuel ourselves with different, if we've not grown up with it or it's, it's not been passed down um, in terms of mindset, to fuel our mind with different language mm. and ideas around money and just kind of almost reprogram our unconscious thinking really, isn't yeah. it? Yeah, exactly yeah, exactly that. Yeah. Now, I think one of the things that people listening would like to know is how do you actually be true to yourself? How do you bring your own creative genius and essentially make money doing what you love? Because Ooh. that's the key, isn't it? It's yeah. it's being able to be you and also generate revenue doing that. Mm. So first and foremost, you know, where, you know, I used to work in the Australian government. And so when I was building my business on the side of that, I didn't want to set out to recreate the environment of like working a corporate job. You know, I didn't want to have a false facade um, that I'd pop up in place of my real personality. I was like, no, fuck that. I want to be all of me and I want to be as inappropriate as possible so that my boss doesn't have to keep, you know, like, because at work I had bosses that absolutely loved me and my bosses would still need to say, Leonie, over the line. That was, that was too much. Like, Just rain it in. <laughs> pull back, babes, pull back. Um, and um, so I didn't want to like have that full, that experience again. I just wanted to be all of myself. Um, so I was doing that from the get-go anyway. And the thing I realized as well, the more I shared about my story and it's like shared about it as honestly as I could, and, and that includes, you know, when I talk about having uh, postnatal depression, when I've talked about having anxiety, when I've talked about depressive episodes, when I talked about getting diagnosed with autism and ADHD, like sometimes that feels scary to share those things. And I think there's sometimes people have this idea like, oh no, I can't share that in a professional sense because it will impact me. But I've learned over, you know, the decades of doing this is that it it doesn't and instead it, um, people feel even more connected to you and they know you as a person and as a soul and um, they understand and they feel understood themselves. And so I love when, you know, I meet like somebody who does, reads my work, um, you know, out the street or whatever, I'm like, cool, we can be instant friends because... I know that they're my kind of person because I've showed up and been all of myself for them already. Mm, yeah, it's really cool. And I mean, I think being vulnerable, it is essentially showing more of yourself, you know, and, mm. and that can be scary for a lot of people. So what would be your suggestion there for if it does feel really scary to open up and be vulnerable, especially I think especially when you're going through challenging times where mm -hmm. you're not feeling your strongest, you know, to be able to share that with people, especially publicly when you're working in this kind of space, what would be your best suggestions for that? So for me, as much as I am about being vulnerable and authentic, um, usually I don't share in-depth information about a difficult situation until I'm through it and, you know, have begun to heal from it. Um because when it's happening to me, like I, 
I'm dealing with that fucking thing. Like I can't also then turn up and be vulnerable um, in that situation. I can with my friends. I can with my therapist. But, um, you know, for me, I feel like it's my responsibility as a creator to on some level resolve it um, and not be looking for anybody else's external approval or energy in order to feel complete with that. Like it's that's up to me and then I can share my story with the world. Yeah, I really like that. I think it's important to recognise when you're on the other side of healing mm. because like you said, yeah, when you're going through it, it's very terrifying and, and you know, everyone has their own personal, you know, life challenges and whatnot. So I think that's such great advice actually. I really like that. Oh. I think um, also if you're in this space, you know, um, you're an entrepreneur or budding entrepreneur, you're building a business, there is obviously you understand there needs to be a market for what it is that you are offering people. And so I'm interested to know when you first started, was it something that you did where you went about finding your target demographic or did you just sort of show up and and I'm just going to be me and I'm just going to see what sticks and attract people to you? Did you sort of, you know, do market testing essentially? Yep. No, I didn't do any market testing. Um, (laughs) I just, so my whole way of market testing was really, I'd say the whole thing is play, right? Like Mm -hmm. how did I find a business model that worked for me? By playing, by experimenting, by seeing what worked for me. And so I tried lots of different stuff over the years. So I started um, connecting in message boards in like 2001. And I still have clients from 2001 um, who have known me since that time because I started sharing there. Mm. Um, and it, like I was just starting up by just sharing like my artworks and my stories um, and photos from that time. And people really got to know me during that. And I made some amazing friendships through there um, and still have clients two decades on. Uh, in fact, one of my private coaching clients is somebody currently like from that message board and I don't think we even really talked to each other on message board. She just saw my post and always kind of knew of me, if you know what I mean. And so two decades later, it's, um, you know, paid off into a high-end coaching relationship. Um, I also, like, I ran live workshops on creativity in person. I um, did tarot card reading online. I sold art at markets. I sold art on Etsy. Um, I did like life coaching. Um, I ran women's circles face-to-face. Like I was just playing and seeing what called to me next. And I learned so many amazing lessons during that time. And it all just built onto each other. And eventually like around about 2009. So this is after, you know, at least five years of playing with, you know, blogging and stuff like that. Mm. Um, I started diving more into like selling e-courses. That was, it was completely brand new then. I'd heard of like one person who did an e-course and it was so novel that one of my best mates called me. He's like, did you know this blogger is doing an e-course? And I said, what's that? She's like, <laughs> you learn it online. I'm like, what? People are paying for this? And we worked it out and it'd be like, She'd gotten like $20,000 from that launch. And I was like, what the fuck? (laughs) So um, I started running e-courses and then I had a membership program for nine years. I started writing books and they've gone on to be used by like 450,000 people. But I didn't know any of that was coming. I just had to keep on practicing and playing and seeing what worked. And 
seeing who rocked up just by me being me and creating and sharing things. Like I've always liked to like make stuff and write stuff and give it away. And then sometimes I'll have shit to sell. Yeah. Oh, it's so amazing to see the, I mean, the journey that you've had. Um, Can you talk me through how you've currently set up your business? Because that's one of the great things I think about being an entrepreneur is obviously you get to write your own rules and Mm. make decisions around your business that really supports the lifestyle that you want, whatever that looks like. So can you take me through what it's set up like now and why you have set it up that way? Sure. Um, So my business now looks fairly similar to how it did 10 years ago so that I just have um, me, one part-time assistant, and we also have a bonus part-time assistant now who just does the customer service. So all up, they do about 25 hours a week. I work about 10 hours a week. Bonsard, like all together, but not even one full-time person. Um, And we bring in, you know, about a million dollars a year or so. Um, I did go through a patch where I, my business was rapidly growing and I thought the way to cope with that was to hire staff. So I had like 20, 25 staff about five years ago or so. And I discovered I hated it. I absolutely hated it. I cannot say enough how much I hated it because all of a sudden my job changed. And so I wasn't a creator or a teacher anymore. And instead I was a manager. I was managing people Mm -hmm. and um, managing finances and managing like all the logistics. And um, it was only in my spare time, like I would have to do my my creating on weekends, like cram it in because my life just got so overblown with managing people. And I can't cope with that. Like I do, and I don't want to deal with people drama because when you're managing people, there's always somebody having drama on some level. And I was like, <laughs> this is fucked. And also I was working way harder than when I, like there was just me. Like people are always like, oh, you know, you make time for yourself because you've got a large team. No, fuck no. If you've got a large team, you have to work harder. You have to work way more hours mm. and your profit margins drop hugely. So for me, my profit margins usually around the 80% or more level. Um, and when you have staff, that is not the case. Mm. So I prefer doing it this way. I, I have like same amount of profit and less stress and way more joy. So it's just a sweet spot for me really. Yeah, it's so beautiful because I, I mean, it is one of those rare things that I, I genuinely think there's just not many people out there doing what you do. It's, you know, 10 hours a week, you have two staff members. Mm. Um, I think the last I sort of read, because I am plugged into your work and there's probably been an update since then, but net worth is probably what 3.5 mil was as of last year. It's probably gone up since then. Yeah, I think we're about 4.5, I think. Yeah. yeah. Well, that's on 4.5. Well, there you go. Yeah. Um, and so, and that to me is just so astounding because what you've created is so incredible. Oh, thanks, um, So, in saying that, one of the things that, again, like I've said, you've been very transparent about your different income streams that make up your business. So, can you talk us through those? Because I think people are listening and going, what the hell? 4.5 mil net worth, two part-time staff, you work 10 hours a week. Mm-hmm. Tell me how this happens because obviously there's there's revenue that comes in. How are they? How is it all coming into the business? Sure. So, um, I don't do any like one-to-one coaching. It's not part of my business model. Um, I do group coaching like once every 10 years. 
So usually I say I never do any like group coaching, but at the moment I'm just working with a small cohort for a couple of months um, because I was bored and I was like, whatever, I haven't done it in a decade. I'll try that out. Um, and, you know, like it was like, I don't know, nearly a hundred grand to do like the mentoring. But for me, it's not... Um, it's not the amount that I would like to make for that, like that I would usually make for that amount of work. So um, for me, that's like, I regard it more as just like, um, like a paid customers, like no, a paid community service, really. Like I'm mm. just want to help like the next generation just for three yeah. months and then I'll disappear for another decade. So the vast majority of my income comes from e-courses. Um, I am pretty prolific when it comes to e-courses. I'm not somebody who will just like make one e-course and then sell it for the rest of my life. That the idea of that fucking bores me. Like I would rather stab myself repeatedly in the face. <laughs> Then do that shit. Like I yeah. love creating. I love it. Even when it's hard and even when it shits me, I think I can't do this. It's what I live for. So yeah. I have a heap of e-courses out. Um, I've created about, I think, 180 e-courses over my career. I've only got maybe six or seven or eight currently available. And I hear a huge range of topics from marketing to running e-courses to getting organized to taking care of your money to um, – I can't even remember the rest. They're all good though. Sales, sales marketing, sales. Yeah. Uh, yeah. Yeah. Kind yeah. Of thing. They're yeah. all pretty fun. Oh, marketing without social media because I don't yes. use social media anymore. Yeah. Um, yeah, no, they're all pretty fun. Um, so like last, like the vast majority comes through there. Um, then I also sell my goal getter workbooks, which have been used by a shit ton of people worldwide. I also have a like a passive income business that I set up. Um, years ago and I only spent like a year or two developing it and um, now it just continues to pay me still six figures a year and I do absolutely fucking nothing, which is great. Um, I, yeah, I, like these are like little chunks of change but I have an investment property. I also have um, like affiliate relationships. I'm trying to remember if there's any other main income streams you know the major ones that I can think the of. major ones yeah, yeah. Like the e-courses are the big ones and and I think what's really cool about this on top of what you've already said and and told us is that you do this without social media now in today's mm. age this is huge because I mean so many businesses run uh and and rely on social media for their lead generation or you know reaching new um consumers so I am interested to know, can you share with me how you came to this decision and how this actually works for you in your business? Because so many people are probably thinking, because we've, we've seen it all, there's a lot of business stuff out there talking about how to make money off Instagram, YouTube, mm. all the different platforms, but you do this without Instagram. Yeah. Um, tell me about this because this sure. is kind of really interesting. Yeah. So, um, you know, I started blogging 2004, started in message boards, 2001. Um, so I've been around like in business since before social media. I was and in online business specifically. And so when social media came along, like I've kind of watched all of the evolutions of it since it began. Like I remember like Twitter and Facebook beginning, all those kinds of things. Um, and I've seen like the ebb and flow as well. Like I remember when Periscope and Vine were huge and um, I remember when like MySpace was still a good like marketing <laughs> method. Like who gives a fuck how many like 
how many like MySpace followers you've got now. So I know for sure that they're ephemeral. They're not long lasting and they, they aren't owned by you. So um, you're at great risk, really. You're at, you are basically being held to ransom by whatever the company wants to fucking do. And what they want to do is make the most amount of money out of you. So like I remember in Facebook when you used to get, you know, 150% reach for every single post you did. And now like good fucking luck getting 1% of your reach. And instead you need to pay to access those people, which mm-hmm. sucks and is bullshit. It's not a sustainable business model. Um, so I was still like kind of using it on and off for my business though. And uh, last year I was bored, <laughs> honestly, like every time <laughs> I get bored, let's see what happens. Um, I um, decided to do a series of 21-day challenges just to try out different habits that um, I wanted to like experience without having to commit to for the rest of my life because fuck that. Um, And the first one I wanted to try out was just 21 days without social media. And I was like, well, that can't be that bad because like I've, I've had sabbaticals before from it. And the day before I went off, I just became completely anxious. I was like, fuck, I'm going to feel so out of the loop. Like, how's my business going to go? Like, I feel like I need to be on there all the time. And, um, but, you know, I went through with it. I blocked myself from all the social media sites and took all the apps off my phone, everything. And the first day I was like, this is weird. Like, I've just got this compulsion to just press buttons, you know, just like make a mm-hmm. dopamine hit. Yeah. Um, but then within a few days, I just felt this calm descending over me that I hadn't experienced in years and um, became so much more in myself. And all of this time opened up to have like hobbies and interests again. <laughs> weird. What's this? Um, and I mean, here's, and then I started researching it. And here's the thing, like people on average spend at least two hours a day on social media, right? Mm -hmm. That is 14 hours a week. That's like 60 plus weeks, uh, 60 plus hours a month. Like this is like a part-time job. This is a university degree. Like you could be doing so much self-care in this time. And we're spending all this time on something which... Now we know has all of these like from long-term longitudinal studies about social media use, we know that it increases anxiety, depression, um, eating disorders, it decreases your memory capacity, it decreases your cognitive abilities. Like there's fucking nothing good that has come out of social media when you look at the study. So I was like, I spent all this time on all this shit, make me feel bad, bad Mm. idea. Why? Why? Mm. Um, And just how beautiful my life felt without it, I thought I need to never go back. I need to never go back and I need to work out a way that for my business to not go back either. Um, And so I had to think about it and I thought, you know what, I can just try three months. I'll just try three months, see how my business goes without it. I I also looked at my statistics and at that point, only about 20% of my traffic was coming from social media. And that was despite me spending 80% of my time um, doing, you know, 80% of my marketing time doing social media stuff. Mm. That's a fucking terrible, like, dividend, like 80% of your effort for 20% of your, like, results. No, that's terrible. And the rest was coming from things that I spent very little time on, like search engine optimization, word of mouth, and affiliate referrals. So I thought, 
I'll just take these next three months and I'll build up these other traffic sources and um, be able to create even more amazing stuff to share with people um, and I'll be happier for it. And if it sucks and if my business completely bombs, I'll go back with my tail between my legs and go, hey, I tried it. It worked. It didn't work. Like that sucked. Um, So either way, it was a good experiment. And so three months on, I was like, yeah, we're not going back. This like, why would we? Like, why would we? Businesses continue to do really well without it. And I'm happier than ever. And my staff are happier than ever. My staff are like, this is the greatest ever. Yeah. I mean, that's one of the things I, I would have to say, I have a very love-hate relationship with social media because mm. it is one of those things where you do feel like you need to be, be on there for your business, but it is for your mental and emotional health. It is detrimental, I feel, if you spend too much time on there. So I'm so happy to hear that you've been able to do it without being on social media at all and I remember this is crazy talk right that we Mm. think like because there's so many thousands of ways to market your business right Mm. and businesses have existed long before Before. social media happened there are billion dollar companies that are not using social media and so many entrepreneurs who are not using social media and yet we think this one method of marketing is not only like important but essential you cannot function your business without it even though it steals all your time and your happiness what the fuck like what kind of (laughs) scam world have we entered into and I think I mean I think part of it is it's self-gratuitous I mean that's probably a lot of it to be honest you know and it and this next generation that have grown up with it from, you know, when they're really young, it's just become habitual, you know, Mm. it's a a, a way of them connecting and whatnot. But it's so cool to hear how you've been able to optimize the other sources of marketing and and lead generation or traffic sources um, to really keep, like essentially to have your business still be doing amazingly well and growing Mm. all the time. I remember years ago when I think this was back, it would have been at least 10 years ago when you maybe had like 2,000 people on your mailing list, but you'd still hit a six-figure business back in mm. those days, right? And so, and this was well before social media. That was, and yeah. was yeah. So, it's it's really cool that you've been able to do that. And I think there's obviously a, a process, a scaling process um, going from a six-figure business through to a multi-million dollar business that mm-hmm. you've, and you've spoken about the different iterations of what this has looked like. But I guess, what were your key learnings from scaling from six figures to a multi-million dollar business? Were there anything, is there anything that has stood out for you? Yeah. Um, so first and foremost, I think like running a seven-figure business is easier than running, like starting and growing a six-figure business, like for sure. Like a hundred grand, like I, the million dollar is so much easier Um, because you have these routines and you've got this momentum up. Whereas when you're just starting to build the momentum, that can feel really, really hard. You think, how the fuck am I going to get to a million dollars if 100 grand is this hard? No, I would actually get like it's easier to do yeah. a million than it is to do six figures. Um, and when it comes to scaling from six figures to seven figures, it's continuing to hold that kind of beginner's mindset of like, right, how do I need to get out there? How do I need to, you know, like keep on appearing in front of new people um, and bringing them into this journey? Um 
and being strategic about it because you can't say yes to everything. You have to say no a lot more, um, but you have to know like what's going to be a really good fit for you and your business. And I talk about this in one of my courses, Work Less and Earn More, which is all about like, okay, you can you can grow your business, but you don't, it doesn't mean you have to like work full times the amount of hours in order to get full times the amount of pay. Like you can work the same amount of hours or less. You're just being more strategic about it. Mm, yeah. I mean, it's so incredible. I think, yes, you're probably right in the, in that whole, you know, from zero to six figures. Mm. What were your biggest struggles around that time and how did you get through it? Is that just a case of building that momentum and and continuing to grow and push and push? How, how would you kind of frame that? I would say the biggest thing to get from zero to six figures is learning what works because you're just throwing spaghetti at a wall at that point and going what creates any kind of traction whatsoever. Mm. Um, And because you haven't done it before, like it's just like a bunch of marketing skills that you need to learn, copywriting skills. Um, But they're essential skills because they'll fuel your business growth. It's just that you feel like such a like a baby foal doing it. You're like, watch me fall over. Like I'm so awkward and fucking can't even run. Um, (laughs) So I think a lot of it is like the mindset and self-belief of like, I can and I will do this. I am capable. I will learn this. I don't have to know everything right now. I just have to learn the next thing. Try that. See if it works for me. See if it works for my market. If it does, great. I'll keep it. If it doesn't, I'll just fuck it off. Mm, Yeah. It's almost like just try it, see what works and mm-hmm. keep moving forward with that. Yep. And having and having that kind of determination to keep going because you're going to fail obviously a lot. There's going to be a lot of things totally. that, that that don't work, mistakes that you make and and all those kinds of things. So just having that tenacity it sounds like is, is really key. Totally. And it, it's still going to happen. Like I regularly say to my like online business manager, I said like just punch me in the face next time I say that we should do this because this was a bad idea. And she's like, okay. <laughs> And come punch you in the face. And like, but then the thing is, like, then I'll get bored again. And then I'll be like, you know what? I'm going to do that again. And she's like, remember, punch in the face. And I'm like, it's going to be different this time. Two weeks later, no. punch me in the face. Like, <laughs> I love it. I love it so much. Now, what are the things, like, what if, what if someone had this goal, like you, of creating a multi million dollar business, multi million dollar net worth, but it's not happening? Mm. What are they doing wrong? You found the parts that don't work. You just haven't found the parts that do work yet. Mm. So stop doing the shit that doesn't work. Try out some different things. See what works. I used to like, I remember 10 years ago or so, um, somebody asked me a a question like that. And I was, at that point in time, we lived in like a one-bedroom cottage with our newborn and she screamed if she wasn't in my arms. So I was like, I need to like get away in order to be you know, a solo breadwinner. I need to make money. And um, so I'd walk down to the park at the end of our street and there was a huge fig tree. And so I'd climb up the fig tree and I'd make videos and write blog posts up, up this massive tree. Um, and people still go, I remember you from when you used to work in a tree. Um, <laughs> but one of the videos I made to answer a question like this was um, I decided to answer it with a song and it was just like if, if, if something's not working try something new and if it's not working try something new if it's not working try something new like it's as simple as that in business in life like if shit ain't working try something new boo because you'll at least find either something else that doesn't work or maybe something that works a little bit or something that works a lot. 
So it is just it is just trying different things and being prepared to fail and and see what sticks and what doesn't. It's true. Oh, yeah. and also I stopped working up a tree because I got caught up there by a snake and I was like, ah, okay. So this, lesson learned. <laughs> lesson learned. Lesson learned. If this wasn't working, so I'll try something new. Try I might just sit new. on the park bench instead. Instead. Perfect. What a great alternative. Now, one of the things I like to speak to all my guests about is rejection and failure because mm. we all experience this, especially in business. What has been, I'm curious to know, what has been your biggest or most notable rejection or failure and what have you learned from it? Oh, I, you know, I do think like probably the most significant failure is that I, I'm not a great manager of people. I'm not a great CEO like I'm a great CEO of a micro business that's highly profitable, but give me some people. And as an autistic person, I am like, I don't know what the fuck you all mean. I don't even understand this. I don't get what you're thinking. This is not logical. This is not rational. Of course, I never said this to them, but my brain's just like, what the fuck? Um, so yeah, like i I'm not somebody who can be a manager of people and that is totally okay. Now, like the staff I have, um, you know, two very part-time assistants, they are people who are independent workers and I say they thrive by benign neglect. So I just ignore them most Mm. of the time and they just get on with their stuff. And beautifully, like my team don't like being micromanaged. So that it works for them. That works Perfect. beautifully for them. So for me, even though it was a failure and that I couldn't be like a person who has a big team and be happy with that um, or content in that experience, I much prefer like this streamlined, hyper-profitable business model that I'm in. It's so much better for me, my soul, my creativity, my writing, my family, my lifestyle, everything. Mm, yeah, I like it. I'm, I'm glad that you you are doing what you're doing because I do think it's such a great it's such a great model for how business can be run and be highly profitable as well. Now, my last question, my final question for you is: if you had an overarching life philosophy or mantra that you try to live your life by, what would that be? Oh, uh, joy is an option. I like that. Yeah, joy is an option. How did you learn this? I have been saying it since I was a teenager, just writing it in my journal. I've always just been a fastidious journaler and art journaler. And I was just like, you know what? I can potentially find a lot of joy in a lot of different things. And that's not to say some fucked up shit ain't going to happen and that there's going to be grief and sadness and all the difficult things that I'm going to be weeping on the bottom of the shower you know, fairly weekly. <laughs> well, no, sometimes. Um, but I'll I'll still try and find the beauty in things and that that inner gladness. And to remember, like, I'm very lucky to be alive. Very lucky to just to even be able to have this experience as fucked up and fantastic as it is. Yeah, that's amazing. I love that. Just make sure that we we choose joy and find them in in everyday moments, wherever, whatever we're doing, I guess. Yeah. And like, I should say that is fueled by difficulty. As in like, I, my brother died in an accident when I was 14 and he was 25. And so that changes you on a cellular level. You realize like, oh, this is not a guaranteed kind of existence. Mm-hmm. This is for as long as you've got it. 
So you might as well try and enjoy the fuck out of it while you're here and just be all of yourself because we all going to die. We all going to die. Yeah. Yeah. I, I really like that. Just remembering that we our time is limited, right? Yeah. And we've just got to choose to be joyful in every moment if we can, which is yeah. good. Yeah. Lovely. I love that so much. Thank you so much for this amazing chat. It's been so fun to chat with you and, and get to delve into all the bits and pieces of your life and your business. Now, where can people find you and all of your amazing work? Uh I am on OnlyFans. Um, <laughs> no, Pornhub.net um, is where you will find me. No, leonidawson.com. I'm not on social media, so don't bother. Um, you can find me there. You can find all of my free shit there. I just released um, a free inspiration library with like the dozens and dozens and dozens of free things that I've made over the years from illustrator zines to coloring in books to like marketing guides to fucking meditations, all the things um, on my free shit page. And then I also have a love letter list where you can get my weekly emails talking about everything under the sun. Um, I do not hold back. And people are always saying to me, it's the their favorite time of the week when my email hits. It never comes at the same time or the same day. Like it just depends when I'm bored. <laughs> Amazing. Make sure you get onto that stuff, guys. We're going to pop up all those links in the show notes. Leonie's got an amazing range of free resources. So make sure you check it out um, and tell us what you loved and learned from this episode in a review on Apple Podcasts. Make sure you screenshot this episode. And since Leonie is not on socials, you can tag me and share it to your IG socials. Thank you again. Again, Leonie for joining me and thank you guys for listening. We'll catch you next time on the Rach Active Podcast. Hold up. 